The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Don't miss Football Americas, the new soccer debate show where Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar cover the U.S. and Mexican national teams throughout the season. Stream new episodes every Monday and Thursday only on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. And with the NFL draft just days away, don't forget to check out First Draft with Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Tuesday morning where yet another wild 11-game Monday in the NBA. It seems like there are 11 games every night. Has warped the playoff race in both conferences, and we're going to focus on the West today. And to help us do that, we're going to do it through the lens of, you know, this little team that won the championship last year. Not a lot of buzz this year about the fight in Los Angeles Lakers, but Mr. Dave McMenamin, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm doing great, Zach. How are you? It's early on the West Coast. You look chipper. You got the backwards hat on. You got the beards <laughs> coming. has come in quite nicely. You look chipper. The hat was because I have not yet showered, so the hair it was a little bit of a mess, so I had to throw it on. I can't pull off a backwards hat anymore. That era is over for me, and I think it's been over for minimum half a decade. When I actually do it around the house, my wife is like, you are not a fraternity and it's not 1996 like stop doing it um so let's let's take it let's let's stand back we had a wild 11 games last night so here's where we are dave and then we'll we'll get to lakers stuff the lakers are currently fifth last night they won in orlando ending a a three-game losing streak anthony davis i thought looked most anthony davisy by far since his return the mavs who are sixth blew a game against the kings and just that confluence of events the Lakers went from like 35, 40% chance to lock in number five to like 65, 70, depending on which projection system you use. So huge favorites to get the fifth seed, which looks like it's going to mean a date with the Denver Nuggets who don't have Jamal Murray. But what they do have is the MVP frontrunner and Michael Porter Jr. right before our eyes is making a leap to stardom. There's still a problem, but I think they'll feel the Jamal Murray loss much more in the playoffs than they will. In the regular season, the Mavs do hold the tiebreaker uh, with the Lakers, thanks to the sweep, the little mini baseball series sweep that happened last year. The Dallas plays the Warriors tonight. That's another huge game. There are huge games every night, thanks to this play in stuff. Uh, the Mavs have the current number six spot above the play in fray. The reward for that could get you the Clippers, although the top three seeds are also in flux. We'll get to that later with Ohm. Portland. In free fall, still now just one game back of Dallas and has the tiebreaker over the Mavericks. They have the toughest remaining schedule the Blazers do. That's a disadvantage. But this is always where things get funny, Dave. Uh The toughness of their schedule is very backloaded. Their last three games are Utah, Phoenix, Denver. And there's some possibility that all three teams will be locked into their seeds by that point. Maybe they rest guys. Maybe that schedule for the Blazers ends up less painful than it looks. The Grizz! who got smoked last night at altitude in Denver. They're just one game back of Portland. They have the easiest schedule in the West and the tiebreaker over the Blazers because they blitzed them two straight games last week. Their schedule is like a Kings, Kings, Magic, Magic, just a bunch of bad teams. They are, though, the Grizzlies 0-2 against Dallas, so they've lost that tiebreaker. They would need to finish ahead of Dallas. Then comes the Spurs who have an absolutely hellacious schedule. It looks like a typo, their opponent winning percentage. It's so bad that that win over Washington last night in overtime was almost a must-win. They're in the most danger to slip to number 10. Golden State is currently number 10, but they have an angel food cake schedule heavy on home games. They own the tiebreaker over the Spurs. 
They can win the tiebreaker over the Mavericks tonight, just in case. Could become important. That's another big game. And the very last game of the season is Warriors-Grizzlies, and the winner gets that tiebreaker. So all of these seeds are in complete chaos every night, except last night, the Lakers took a big step, not to clinching, not to icing, but to basically controlling their own destiny for the number five seed. So let's talk about the Lakers, who we haven't talked about enough on this podcast this year, and that's a true statement. We just haven't. Um, they're 36 and 25. AD is back. LeBron, I'm hearing a week-ish away from being back. And Dave, it just seems like obviously they're in flux because their two best players have been hurt now for a while. But they're also like Montrez Harrell gets the mysterious DNP the other night. Then he's back in the rotation last night in Orlando in the Frank Vogel revenge game in Orlando. Marcus Gasol back out of the rotation. Wesley Matthews, DNP. Uh, his minutes have gone up and down. It seems like, you know, you want to say as long as they get their two guys healthy, they're fine. But the center rotation, since the introduction of Andre Drummond, the perimeter rotation, it's a little bit more in flux around those guys than I think you would ideally want it. So step back. What's the state of the Lakers? Assuming LeBron comes back and looks like LeBron, what's the state of the Lakers? They're a team that doesn't really know each other all that well because let's say LeBron comes back and you still say you have that core with him, AD, Caruso, Kuz, uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope that led them to a championship last year. You're still talking about Andre Drummond fitting in with those pieces. Obviously, you're talking about you know Schroeder and Harrell uh, and the other guys they added this offseason, Gasol and, and Matthews, still being new. You talk about a guy like Ben McLemore, who's been getting minutes as of late, getting those minutes over Wes Matthews. You know, some of these guys LeBron hasn't played with yet. Uh, of course, I'm not doubting his acumen and his ability to integrate quickly with those guys, but it adds a question mark to this group that you don't necessarily want to have as a team that's going to be playing games that matter in your repeat title run in, in about three weeks. To me, the Drummond question is the most interesting one because, you know, we, the media, cover these buyout signings as if it's July 1, and these mm-hmm. are massively impactful free agents, and Andre Drummond was the bell of the proverbial ball. Either here, LaMarcus Aldridge, I guess, or Blake Griffin. Pick one, whatever. Whatever big guy you like, and well wishes to LaMarcus, obviously. Um and he, it's, it's, it, I don't even want to judge anything Andre Drummond does with the Lakers until LeBron gets there. Because part of the idea in getting Andre Drummond is LeBron is going to sort of unlock his pick and roll game in a way that almost no player that Andre Drummond has ever played with could do. On the flip side, I don't think he's looked terribly good so far for the Lakers. He still can't make a two-point shot to save his life. For a, for a big guy, he shoots like a guard around the rim. Uh, even worse, actually. But, you know, the Lakers, clearly, they like the model they had last season of a big, vertical, imposing, gigantic center with Anthony Davis at the four and LeBron at the three, despite the fact that it often turns Anthony Davis into a spot-up player, despite the fact that when he gets his wing touches and his post-isos, the help defenders are closer to him. He has to kind of slice through tighter spaces, which, by the way, he's freaking amazing, so he does. And, of course, they always have in their back pocket Anthony Davis at center, which is the look they're going to anytime they get stressed in the playoffs. It's just this year, they have to bench three decent to very good centers to get to that look. So it's it's kind of, 
It just is kind of strange, but what's the internal temperature take on Drummond so far? Is he as expected? Is he rave reviews, bad reviews? Like, what is the thought process? It's been a exercise of patience for this group because there was a lot of excitement to acquire him, and it was the idea of kind of all season long that this isn't a complete roster and we are going to pursue what what's available at the buyout market. Uh, obviously, they went after Kyle Lowry on, on the trade market, but the, the buyout market was like their plan from you know the start of training camp in December up until March when it occurred. And so you get him, and then he comes in, and the first game he plays, Brook Lopez steps on his foot with his 300-pound Disney-loving body and snaps his toenail off. And, okay, now we're going to miss him for a couple games. And then he comes back and he, he plays and gets the foot stepped on again in a game against Brooklyn. So he has to out of the lineup again. So this uneasy stop and go beginning hasn't helped the process. And I think there's an understanding that, you know, had none of that happened, perhaps he looks a lot better already. But he hasn't looked all that good. Uh, it was encouraging to see him against Orlando because not only you mentioned finishing around the rim, it, you know, I think his first two buckets, there was a, you know, a roll and a lob catch from KCP. Then he yeah, finished that was a with, nice with little sideline play by KCP. That was like that. Yep. In fact, it's good to you. When, when that play happened, I was like, okay, there, there is what, there is what I expect more of when LeBron comes back and why I am not, I don't even really care what Andre Drummond looks like, frankly, until LeBron comes back. Yeah. And then also a play that stood out was, you know, Andre just, putting his man on his wide backside and calling for the ball and Schroeder giving him an entry pass and just a quick dip in and lay up. Uh, and you hadn't seen much of that so far. Uh, if he can give you some of that per game uh, while providing, you know, that wide body in the middle, he'll have done his job. He's a high level role player with this team. I know he's a, a multi-time all-star, but they need him to be a high level role player. And you're going to see, Theoretically, when LeBron comes back, you know, th- these these plays where LeBron's rolling and, and finds uh, AD, you know, in, in the the high post uh, or even the, the mid to short post. And then AD will have the opportunity to either you know, score from there or make a secondary play and look for Drummond in, in the dunker spot. Um, you know, that's going to be. You know the the high level, I guess, chess type offense you'll see out of those three guys together, and and I, I think it, it can look really, really good. Um, just as we talk about with the Lakers only having eleven games left on the schedule as of now, uh, LeBron, you know, on the high end of that, will will play ten of those games, but it, it probably far less because there's some back to backs in there, and also LeBron hasn't returned yet. So let's just say LeBron might be playing five or six of those those eleven remaining games. It's not a lot of time to work with what we're talking about, but you know, last year before the the bubble playoffs began, Lakers had what eight games, and LeBron played five or six of them after a four and a half month hiatus, and they got it together when it mattered in the playoffs. I'll tell you, um, they're lucky as the rest of the West is lucky that Jamal Murray got injured. And and by the way, I did a whole monologue on that injury, about a twelve minute audio essay thing. And some people laughed at me like, well, Jamal Murray's not dead. Like, why are you devoting this? Like, try? I can't tell you how many coaches, scouts, and front office people from other teams, rival teams in the West, 
Teams who could play the Nuggets in the playoffs texted or called before and after I posted that, lamenting how sad they were that Jamal Murray got injured because they could see what I and others had seen, which is this team is clicking and has a chance to be really, really good and has a chance to actually win the championship. But not only that, several of these people said just what they in Utah represent about other ways to build a championship level team is important for the NBA. It's important for those teams to be able to win it all. And I don't think Denver could, Denver is clearly going to be a problem. Like they, they are still a problem. Michael Porter Jr. is playing out of his mind and they're going to be a problem, but I just don't, it's going to be hard to pick them if they draw the Lakers. Can you imagine what that series would have been like with Jamal Murray? Oh my God. I mean, you know, Denver would have been the higher seed and, I think I might have picked Denver. Maybe the, maybe the Vegas favorite. Like it, it, it's it's a wild thing to think about. But now you look at it and you say, okay, if you're the Lakers and you threat, and it looks like Denver will be locked into the four seed. But let's just have that conversation. If if you could choose one of the teams in that area, would you want to play Denver? Would you want to play, you know, Portland? Would you want to play Dallas? Like you may say you want to play Denver without Jamal Murray. So it goes from being something you coldly want to avoid at all costs to, you know, maybe maybe this is a good break for the Lakers. I want to play both of those teams you mentioned before Denver, even now. Portland, you know, look, it's funny. Portland's numbers with Nurkic on the floor, their defense is still good. Their starting five is still plus 14 per 100 possessions, really good on both ends. And yet they just keep losing and losing and losing. Their bench is unreliable. And I just... I'm kind of I'm kind of tired of waiting for the Blazers to get it together and it just the, the the closer we get and and I think the burden has clearly taken a toll on Dame, right? Dame hasn't or I don't know what he scored the other night against Memphis, but they were talking on the Blazers broadcast that he was in his longest stretch of not scoring 30 points in any game of the whole season. And that's a team, you know, they made the conference finals 2 years ago. Really good run. Nothing to sneeze at anytime you make the conference finals. Ask the Clippers. That's what I say all the time. Ask the Clippers. You think making the conference finals is easy? Ask the Clippers. Then last year, they get derailed by... I mean, everybody got derailed last year, but injuries galore. They have an inspiring run in the bubble, and they lose to the Lakers after winning the first game. And you sort of chalk that season up to like injuries, chaos, whatever. This season... They have all the injuries again. CJ gets hurt. Nurk gets hurt. Zach Collins is just MIA all the time. I think could have been a potentially important part of their team. Now they get CJ back. They get Nurk back. And yeah, they got to work those guys back. You know, CJ was having the best season of his career before he got injured. And they're still not winning. And if, if this season ends with a bad taste in their mouths, I don't know that you can just talk chalk two straight seasons in Portland up to injuries, chaos, whatever. Let's let's let I, I kind of wonder if there will be some semi-significant changes in Portland if if they bow out in the first round. But let's or I guess don't even make the playoffs. I mean, that's on the table for them, too, because right now they're in the play in. But let's for that, enough Blazers. Um, the Drummond thing that I'm most interested in is is defense, because. The knock on Drummond, and it's been totally fair his whole career, is he just doesn't bring it every night. His motor runs hot, and then it runs cold for three nights. And you're like, well, where, like, where's, the, where's the hot motor? And if there's a matchup where they would really like Andre Drummond's motor to be running hot, it is Nikola Jokic in the first round mm-hmm. of the playoffs. Um, so, uh, you know, when I, what, what, what are the Lakers looking for out of him on that end of the floor? 
Well, I, I think they would have to based on their recent successes. Can you do what uh, that dude who wore number 39 with the wildly changing braids from night to night did for us last year and Dwight Howard, which is whatever minute you get on the floor, you are up in the space of Nikola Jokic. You are making him uncomfortable. You are not allowing him to see the court the way he normally does to get into his rhythm, to pick apart uh, the, the defense and use his vast array of skill set because you are physically and mentally wearing him down by your sheer presence. And Dwight Howard, for all of his, you know, uh, antics. The word, the, word, the, word is an, the word is antics <laughs> that people like to use. Antics. <laughs> antics. He was wonderful in that series and, and completely did his job and allowed the Lakers to win it in five in, in large degree because of his contributions personally against the guy, as you mentioned, is, is odds on favor to win MVP this year. And that takes a certain, um, I, I, I guess Dwight Howard at, at this stage of his career, at that stage of his career didn't need to be Dwight Howard, didn't need to be the all-star like, having that role and doing it well was enough for him uh, to feel like he was a a part of the Lakers. Uh, That's what the Lakers need Andre Drummond to do. Not, not be the guy who is accustomed to looking at the stat sheet and see 15 and 15 and say, okay, that means I did my job tonight. Uh, Need to be a, a guy that if there's a third quarter run where Jokic goes over for four with two turnovers because you guarded him really, really well for seven or eight minutes straight. Like that's how you did your job tonight. Well, I, the thing I look for with Andre on defense is, is he defending with his arms or his feet? Because he has a habit of now his, his hands are unbelievable. He's constantly top two or three among centers and steals in the whole league, which are really, really valuable. I, we tend to – steals became this thing where you sort of scoffed at like 10 years ago. Oh, people only get steals because they gamble and they're out yeah. of position and the payoff doesn't meet the risk. Steals are super valuable. And if you have a big man who can get them just in the course of defending a pick and roll and they lead to pick sixes, they're incredibly valuable plays. It's one of the reasons why Jokic is not as bad of a defender as people make him out to be because he gets a lot of steals. But Andre, because he knows his hands are so good, and there was a sequence like this, a couple of them last night against Orlando, he'll drop back on the pick and roll and he'll see that pocket pass coming. And instead of sliding his feet to get back to his guy, the screener, He'll lurch. He'll lurch. That's it's a, not a lunge. It's a lurch mm-hmm. with his uh, with his arms to try and get the ball, and he won't get it. And then he's behind the play, and that's where, like, I I I I get nervous when Montrez Harrell is on this. In, in when Montrez Harrell is in the same metropolitan area as Nikola Jokic, at this point, I get very nervous because I just don't think it's going to end well for Montrez Harrell. That's I don't want to see that anymore. But that's what they're going to miss Murray because. What Harrell and everyone else had a problem with was not just Jokic, but the Murray-Jokic two-man game and how they bent defenses and and punctured defenses and just created all these little windows. And with Murray gone, the Lakers should be able to hang with that just fine if Andre is 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 playing at eye level. It makes me wonder if if Gasol can do any of that as well. Obviously, he doesn't have the 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 motor type of game defensively right now but he does have sheer size and and can you use him at all in that role and and you makes you wonder is that what frank is thinking about when he 
for the first time all season, benches Montrose Harrell against Dallas to just get Gasol a chance to play. He hadn't played in three games, three straight DNPs. I was coming off him, you know, fully selling out his body to go for a loose ball against the Boston Celtics and popping out a finger. Uh, was it just, okay, we're not going to just completely bench you after that because we do understand that you've been through, you know, all, all these things that happened this year. We brought in Drummond, you got benched, et cetera. Uh, or it was, uh, Trez didn't play all that well against Dallas the first time. We're playing Dallas again. Here's w- a one-time opportunity to give Gasol some minutes, uh, but we're going to go back to Trez indefinitely. I-, I don't know the answer to that, but if there is a chance that Gasol could provide something in that Denver series, I mean, I don't think we're too far away, as we're talking about, to start thinking about specific matchups where guys could be valuable uh, to the team in the postseason. You know, I, I was talking to a coach yesterday, a Western Conference coach, and I said, am I just crazy or am I looking through my rose-colored Marcus Gasol glasses that, like, Marcus Gasol hasn't been as bad as Laker fans think that he's been this year? Now, he's averaging five points a game. And he does not shoot. He will not shoot. He ha- He's just like, he's the only NBA player. He just hates shooting. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but he is shooting 39% from three. He's a great passer. And his defense has been, I think, okay. I don't. It's not near what it used to be. I don't think it's near what it was last year, particularly around the basket. But I don't think it's, like, bad. And I also... Like what did what did people think? Mark, what did people think Marcus Sol was going to score fifteen points a game for them? Right. He's shooting thirty nine percent from three, and one of the reasons they like the idea of Marcus Sol is if there's a team that would like a guy who doesn't really want to shoot that much, it's a team with two uber super duper uber superstars and some other dudes who really want to shoot. Like Dennis Schroeder really wants to shoot. KCP wants to get some shots up. Like I just I still think there's a role for Marcus Sol to play in the Lakers theoretical path to repeating. I, maybe I'm just, maybe I just like his game too much. I don't know. Yeah. He's had his moments. He's also had his moments where he hasn't looked so good. So, you know, without, I don't own a pair of those glasses you're describing. I don't quite have as long of a history. Uh, with, now with Pal, certainly I, I would probably be finding a way to, to talk up Pal Gasol, but I don't know Mark as well, but I, you know, he's, he's had his moments where he's looked good. He's had his moments where he looked, you know, like he's probably, on borrowed time uh, when it comes to his NBA career. And, and, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. But as you mentioned, and, uh, Anthony Davis played close to 60% of the available center minutes last year in the playoffs. And so you're going to have to leapfrog, uh, you know, se- several players in that rotation to, to get those minutes when the playoffs come around. Well, to me, but they, to me, sort of just zooming out, KCP's had a good season. Caruso's had a decent season. I think this this stretch without Braun and AD has overtaxed him a little bit. But for what he is, Alex Caruso is a good player. Mm-hmm. Kuzma has been outstanding all season long. 36% from three. Would you like that to be a little higher maybe? But Kyle Kuzma is just a good basketball player now. Um, Schroeder is Schroeder. He's good. Talon Horton Tucker is just this jagged, nasty, lightning bolt attacker off the dribble. The jump shot will come. He's a good player. Uh, Macklemore's done well. I still think Wes Matthews will play a role for them when it counts. They have enough perimeter guys. Like the big picture story, you can get caught up in all this center rigmarole. The big picture story is they have enough perimeter guys 
to play Davis at center and be just as effective at it as they were in their run to the championship last year. That's like a fundamental belief that you have to remind yourself of when you start to get caught up in this Gasol, Harold, Drummond, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. They still have the goods to do that just as well, I think, if not better even than they did last year. Yeah, I mean, and one of the main perimeter pieces that they lost, or probably the main perimeter piece that they lost from last year's championship team was Rajon Rondo, who's playing for the Clippers now. And I wrote about last night that you know, maybe it, it's not, it should have been obvious kind of all season long ever since they acquired Dennis Schroeder. But Dennis Schroeder right now is the third most important Laker behind LeBron and AD. And in, in many ways, he's an upgrade from Rondo. Now, he's not an upgrade in terms of a, a guy who has the championship experience. And, you know, Rondo is so much more than his statistical package that he brings to the team. But what, what Schroeder's doing for them right now is, like he is a go-to reliable guy down the stretch. He had 13 of his 21 points in that magic comeback in the fourth quarter. Couldn't miss a shot, uh, hardly six for seven, you know, finding guys. Uh, and it, it's more than just that. It, the team looks to him to fill that role. He said that uh, la- last night he told us that Jared Dudley goes up and tells him like, you're the guy, like y- you're the guy, you're the difference maker is what Dudley's saying. And if Schroeder has this this great run, the Lakers' chances of, of repeating skyrocket and also Schroeder's chances of getting the dollar figure he wants to get when free agency you know, talks pick back up between him and the Lakers also skyrockets. I looked it up this morning. The Lakers, since LeBron got injured, are scoring about 107 points per 100 possessions with Schroeder on the floor. Now, that's not good. That's like 26 in the league overall as as team rankings without him that's 99 which is which is g league level offense so he's been uh, he's been doing okay with a higher low and i agree with you he's he's the third most important player on the team he's the one that um the ingredient um that they really didn't have last year a guard who can go get his own shot and really wants to get his own shot by the way another observation of the lakers uh in this lebron stretch you've probably been watching a lot of the games on tv particularly the road games when they show LeBron on the sideline, sitting in that chair, his posture is oh, unbelievable. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Wonderful. I just I'm like it's like textbook posture. I slouch, I sit, I squirm around. He's like in the military. Is he? I don't understand. I I want a whole thing on LeBron sitting. Does he, <laughs> does he sit like that at the dinner table? Is he sitting? I don't. I've never uh, seen posture like that. Well, I think a lot of it actually goes back to his first year back in Cleveland where, you know, his his back was kind of barking at him a little bit. And so he got with the folks down uh, David Alexander's gym down in Miami and uh, Donnie Raymond. And they like that was a big part of what they did to to work on him. Like you can't be uh, even when you're not actively working out to get your back right you get your body right like you can't have it atrophy by the way you're you're sitting and so sometimes he'll be wearing like a little you know like those court, quarterbacks will, will wear it's almost like a little back pad it looks like a portable uh iphone speaker or something yeah. like that you'll have that sometimes uh you know strapped around uh in in the back to give him a little bit of extra comfort where there's a, a seat with the back to it but yeah it is impressive he he has wonderful posture look man whatever it is i'm watching that game last time I'm like man i I'm really a train wreck posture wise. Like I'm doing damage I mean, to my To be fair, there's many things our bodies compared to LeBron James' bodies. But we can control Full posture. Like I could have yeah, learned posture by now. Um couple of concluding thoughts. One of the reasons that Drummond the center thing is interesting though is 
it's not just, you know, the smash mouth basketball, right? That's like what Frank Vogel loves. That's how they it, they played the bulk of last season and even half the bubble, at least half the playoff bubble. Um, and it really showed up at times and it showed up in every series. But when Drummond is involved in a pick and roll or their center is defending a pick and roll. OK, he might be slower than a he is slower than AD, he's slower than LeBron he might get beat. But I know the Lakers love and it really shows up when they get beat. And you have AD and LeBron waiting for you on the back line. That is a freaking problem for every other for every ball handler that goes in there. That's just a lot of arms and jumping ability and 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 scary people waiting for you. Um, so that's another reason they like to play big like that and why they will continue to do it. The zooming out. I mean, should we should we still consider this team the favorites to win it? I think everyone is just saying that because it's the easy thing to say, like because it's LeBron and because they're the Lakers and because they won last year and everyone is afraid to look like a fool. You just sort of say, well, of course, the Lakers, they should be the favorites. I Should they be? I, I don't think so, just because the Brooklyn Nets have come together. Now, of course, whenever I've been tooting the, the Nets' horn, you have another guy go out you know, and you know, James Harden. Who knows when he comes back before the regular season concludes, if he comes back. And none of those season. guys have posture on LeBron's level. None of them. <laughs> but what they have is uh, jump shooting uh, higher than LeBron's level, uh, ball handling higher than LeBron's level. Uh, and you know, as much as the Lakers have depth and role players, I believe a lot in guys like Joe Harris. I know you're big on Bruce Brown. He's been amazing to watch this he, year. He's been, he's, I mean, MVP, like eighth on your MVP ballot. <laughs> yeah, or something right, like right that. There. yeah, we expanded to 10. He's going to get a vote. And, That's you know, the Howard Beck rule. Expand the MVP ballot. To say, <laughs> Howard Beck's a wimp. I want him to hear this. He's a wimp. That's a wimpy rule. And he should name it to Howard Beck as a wimp rule. I'm all for that. Like, let's just continue on that rant. But, uh, you know, Jeff Green's had, had a, a wonderful year for them. And uh, I just, I, I believe, I just think their talent, if they are fully healthy, they're, they just have too much um, offensively. And, you know, the Lakers MO has been, well, we're going to win on defense. And we've been the top rated defense, even with all our injuries. More power to them, and the Lakers could look like so scary with a couple rounds under their belt, and we get to the Western Conference Finals, and they're going toe to toe with with the Clippers, and and dispose of them. And it's like, how dare I even think that they weren't the favorite six weeks ago? But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's just interesting because the Lakers are in all this flux that we talked about. The Clippers now they lost in New Orleans last night, but they've just been on fire for just quietly scorching for a month straight. I think they're like 17 and four in their last 21 games. The Jazz, like the Jazz apparently can't beat the Minnesota Timberwolves. They can beat everybody else. Donovan Mitchell's injured. The Jazz just feel like the opposite of flux. They know who they are when they have their all their guys available. And the Suns are the extreme opposite of flux. They are absolutely rock solid. They know their rotation every game, what everybody's role is. They do not make mistakes. They defend hard. Um, and they just are, there is no flux. They're the opposite of flux. And so it feels like those three. And they have my MVP. And they have my MVP. You're voting Chris Paul MVP? If the season ended today. Whoa, that's a scorcher. (laughs) I love it, Dave McMenamin. Uh, and, And so they must look at the Lakers and say, well, at least we have stability going for us. And I think that can make the Western Conference playoffs. Forget the Nets, the Western Conference playoffs. Very interesting. And that's a good segue into, uh, Om Young Masuk, our next guest, but let's say goodbye, Dave. Um, you're doing an unbelievable job covering the Lakers across every part of ESPN. So thanks for making a little time, my friend. 
Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part, each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? Full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. All right, let's bring in our Clippers insider, Om Young Masuk, to help us go through the rest of the West, the top of the West, really. Om, you're in your car. I can see you in your car. How are you? How is your car clean? What's your condition of your car? Do you have like food containers in the car? What's your car like? I do have a uh, latte from Coffee Bean, uh, my favorite coffee spot here in California, but it is actually clean for once because. It's a lease, and I actually just had it inspected yesterday because when you lease a car and your lease is about to end, uh, you know, they have they got to come and inspect it before you actually trade it back in or whatever you got to do with it. Uh, I, I have not yet done a <laughs> podcast from my car. You look like you're being held hostage. All I see is you in front of a dark background. So the, the biggest – so we just went over with Dave, sort of the Lakers in the middle to west in the play-in landscape. Let's go to the top of the west. The biggest remaining race in the west – Definitely going into last night, but still coming out of last night, was the race for the second seed between the Suns and the Clippers. The Suns picked up a game last night. Chris Ball, Chris Paul went bananas down the stretch at Madison Square Garden. The Clippers' mash unit without a million players lost in New Orleans. Um, and now the Suns are two games up in the loss column. The Clippers, though, they have the tiebreaker over Phoenix, clinched. And they have a much easier schedule. So the Clippers can be looking at that and say, we have a chance to get up to two, which in theory gets us the winner of the play-in tournament, which, if Dallas takes care of its business, should be a team that is inferior to Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. And if I can avoid... I know the Mavericks have had a crazy season full of turmoil, and the virus hit them hard, different starting lineups seemingly every night. If I can just have one of those other teams and not Luka, and I know the Grizz have been amazing, particularly lately, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is back, I still would rather not see Luka, if I can avoid seeing Luka. Um... Uh, and the Suns uh, can take care of a lot of this business, though. They play the Clippers uh, tomorrow on Wednesday in an absolutely massive game that if the Clippers want the second seed, they should win. And then the Suns just go right from that to playing Utah. And by the way, they're only a game behind Utah, and they have the tiebreaker over the Jazz. Um, so this is just all a fascinating race. And, and the Suns also, the Suns have the hardest schedule by far on all these teams, and, and they finish the season with two back-to-back games against the Spurs, who by that point could be absolutely desperate to win every game and not resting people. 
Um, so this is a, a fun race. Phoenix could fall to third. They could also take over the number one seed this week. And meanwhile, the Clippers are sitting there. I think they're they've been I don't know they've been on fire for a month. So what's so so you you are around this team much more than I am to the degree that anyone can be around a team right now. The Lakers we just talked about with Dave have been in considerable flux. So have the Clippers. It's almost like a repeat of last year where you want to say, well, have they played enough together? Like we just went through this whole thing with them and they're like, well, they're doing it again, but it's mostly due to injuries. Ibaka has not played in forever. Ivica Zubats has taken over the starting center spot and frankly does not look ready to give it back when Serge comes back. Reggie Jackson is now starting at point guard. Also doesn't look ready to give that job up when Patrick Beverly comes back, which is going to be pretty soon. Um, They've just introduced Rajon Rondo, who we'll talk about. Um, and so they're they're in some roster flux. They're going to have some guys coming back. But even larger than that is sort of what's the mood in there? Do they believe do they believe they can do it? Have they shaken off last season and what happened to them in the bubble last season? Do they believe they have it in them to get through the West? I would say that um Ty Lu has gotten them to believe as much as they possibly can without their full roster being at full strength and knowing what they can do at that point. Um, listen, you just talked about how, how tough the West is. Before last night, the Clippers had won 17 of 20 games and barely made any like they made ground on Phoenix, but they're still not in the second spot. It's it's like so hard to comprehend that a team can win seventeen or twenty games and not make a serious jump up in the standings, which is basically what the Clippers have done. And what they've done is they've won all those games pretty much without uh you know their full roster intact. Let's put it this way: um, they the last time they actually had Pat Beverly. Serge Ibaka, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George on the floor together, I believe it was March 11th against Golden State. Um, Serge has not played now, I think, in 23 straight games uh, due to a back injury, and you're absolutely right. I think when he does come back, you're going to see Visa Zubat stay in that starting lineup. I agree with you. Um, I think think Serge is the backup center now, and I'll go one further. If I had to make what would have a week ago seemed like a little bit of a wild prediction— I think Reggie Jackson might be the Clippers' starting point guard for the rest of the season, unless he craps the bed in the playoffs and gets demoted. I, I, I kind of think that I, I, is that crazy when Pat Bev comes back. No, no, no it's not crazy at all because Reggie Jackson has played that good. But, uh, but I think you know Tyloo likes to start games with a physicality and a defensive mindset. And the only reason why I would say that perhaps Reggie Jackson doesn't start is because Pat Beverly can kind of help that. And then Reggie Jackson brings the offense off the bench. And maybe that's more of a matchup thing or an attitude thing that Ty Lue would want to bring. Um, but Ivica Zubas has been rock solid since he's been put in that line. In fact, the Clippers have credited the turnaround with Ivica Zubats at center because of his physicality, the uh, the big body he brings in the paint, the rebounding, the protecting of the paint. Um, those they all coincide with this kind of turnaround shortly after the All Star break of the Clippers playing well. And so to get back to the first question is that Tyloo has gotten this team to win a lot of games that it really probably shouldn't have. Yes, you know they got they got spanked in New Orleans last night. That was probably due 
they were due for a game like that for a long time because prior to that, they had won three straight come from behind games um, with a lineup that, you know, they haven't had Kawhi. Paul George has been in and out a little bit due to rest. They've been resting guys now. Um, they're trying to make sure they stay healthy. I think l- what you saw last night in New Orleans is that they just retired because they've had so many guys out. So many other guys have been filling in and playing big minutes. I mean, you see DeMarcus Cousins. They just signed him for the whole year after two 10-day contracts. He's playing big minutes. Um, so I, I, I do think, though, that they, they, they have a sense of belief that they probably didn't have last year because obviously last year the pandemic hit and then they had to go into the bubble and then they had a lot of guys kind of leave due to, you know, deaths in the family, things like that. This year they are building a belief because they've pulled out so many games and won so many games without their guys being healthy that I think they've formed this, this bond. But to me, yes, this feels a lot like last year. Because they're not going to have their, their whatever their starting five is going to be and their full top 10 guys playing together on the floor for maybe more than five games before the playoffs start. I'm not talking about the whole season. I'm talking about, you know, when they start building up toward the playoffs again. I asked Ty Lu this the other day. I was like, how many games do you need with your full guys back together to kind of develop that continuity you need going into the playoffs? He's like, I need it now. I want it now. He started laughing. I don't think they're going to get it for even like, you know, five games. I mean, Kawhi may come back soon. He's been out with a foot injury. Serge is, is building himself back. He's been, I think, doing some four on four, and he's probably built himself up to some five on five. I think Pat Bev is coming back shortly. Um, but the Clippers also have to be careful as they bring them back and ramp them back up because they don't want any more injuries. It's it's so funny because, you know, one of the questions you hear over and over again are, well, are the Nets, you know, with all those injuries and people taking games off are they the clippers of of 2021 he's like well are the clippers of 2021 the clippers of 2021 like is it just the clippers again here's a stat for you how many minutes do you think rondo who i think could is and will be an important part of the team how many minutes do you think he's played with both paul george and Kawhi leonard oh i would probably say maybe they played one game together is my guess 12 minutes total 12 yeah yeah, for, that would for be a guy game. for a guy that you traded Lou Williams and two picks to get two second round picks to get, and with the view of this guy can change our team. And by the way, a lot of people laughed at that trade. Like, what the? Look at Rondo's stats in Atlanta. Yeah, the the Clippers are the ones that gave up the picks to to trade the better player for the worst player. The day of that trade deadline podcast, when I did a podcast on the day of the trade deadline, I said, "Do not laugh at this trade. Playoff Rondo is real. He's going to add something that the Clippers don't have." And I, I think they know what they're doing. I'm a believer in him as a connector. And now it's interesting. The Lakers really only needed Rondo to kind of be a connector, like make extra passes, go from point A to point B. He'll, he'll still do that. And in fact, he made a beautiful, very Rondo-y extra pass to get Terrence Mann an open three last night. Yep. But they also need him to be point guard Rondo a little bit more than the Lakers did. Um but I think he can be an important part of their team. And at, so far, they're like plus a million with Rondo on the floor. Here's the thing, Zach. A lot of guys looked at that trade and only looked at the numbers when it happened. And as I explained, I was like, this trade is so much more about what, you know, past the numbers, behind the scenes. This was the Clippers basically saying, okay, we know, we get it. We need a guy who not only is going to be able to initiate offense for Kawhi and Paul and be able to move the ball when it sticks, but a guy who's going to be helping in the film room, holding guys accountable, help lead this team. Um, look, they they still had some issues, I think, 
as far as kind of, you know, needing a guy to really stand up and be a leader just because the dynamic of this team, you know, obviously Kawhi and PG being the two best players, they're still kind of quiet guys when it comes to leading. Um, and they, you, they do have a, a fiery Serge Ibaka and Pat Beverly, but Rondo is respected because he comes in because of what he's done in his career. He's also kind of his basketball IQ is obviously kind of unmatched. And also Ty Lue, for all intents and purposes, is the point guard of the Clippers. He calls almost every play. I'm sure you've seen this every night, Zach. And with having Rondo on the floor and their relationship that dates back to Boston, um, you know, Rondo's just going to be able to help Tyloo execute what he needs. And so, listen, when they play the best teams like Brooklyn, it's happened a couple times against Brooklyn and, and other teams like Milwaukee, for example. Uh, the offense, when the Clippers are at their best, the, the ball is moving multiple times. It's like they're getting the hockey assist. They're hitting a three at the end of the bu- shot clock buzzer, and they're getting an open shot. But when they play in the fourth quarters against these teams that have multiple stars like Brooklyn and James Harden, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are doing their thing and hitting big shots, all of a sudden you start to see Kawhi Leonard and Paul George try to match them. The ball sticks. It's not moving as much. You get back into that isolation basketball that absolutely killed them against Denver in the second round. That's where I think you got guys like Rondo who can help kind of stop that. I thought the Clippers might have saw a little bit too much of that, and they know that they have to play a certain way in the playoffs. Um, They have to play the way that's gotten them here and not let the ball stick and not get back into that isolation basketball. It's going to be inevitable, right, come playoff time, that you're going to see isolation basketball again. That's why they got these two stars. They just can't let it be for all of the last five minutes of games. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. About six weeks ago, I said, you know, the Clippers The Clippers may be the greatest jump shooting team ever. I mean, I, it's hard to say. that. I guess uh, by definition, the KD Warriors are the greatest everything ever, including jump shooting. But this team is an absolutely incredible jump shooting team. They're number one. They're shooting like 42% as a team, as a team from three. They're number one in the league in offense. And I said, that's all great. They were 29th at getting to the rim at that time and 29th in free throw rate. And I said, they are not winning the championship with that shot profile. I don't care how great they are as a jump shooting team. That is Marcus Morris is not going to shoot a gazillion percent for the whole season and in the playoffs. Since then, the Clippers are about average at getting to the rim. League average. That's a huge, that doesn't sound like much. From last to league average is a huge jump. Now, their free throw rate has not increased very much. And 
if they can hang around average, if they can generate a few more shots at the basket, and I think actually they may generate more in the playoffs because teams are going to be more determined to run them off the arc, and that's going to open up driving opportunities for them. Then we're talking about a team that absolutely 100% can win the championship. That change in their shot profile was necessary. It has happened. Rondo is part of the reason it has happened. Terrence Mann is part of the reason it's happened. And Zubats and his offensive rebounding and rolling to the rim in front of Ibaka is part of the reason it's happened. My kind of question was, you know, is it all because of Mann and Zubats? And like, is Mann really going to play in the playoffs? How many minutes is Zubats going to play when Serge comes back? And it's a lot about those guys, but it's also some about Rondo. He gets them moving, gets them running. And if you just isolate the numbers since March 1st, April 1st, with Kawhi and PG on the floor, the, the those numbers persist. Like they're still getting to the rim at an average rate. And I think Paul George has done really good work putting his head down, getting to the rim, slithering around big guys for tough layups and all that. It doesn't get rewarded with a ton of calls, but I think that they have amped up, they, they have diversified their offense to the point where they absolutely can win the title. Ty Lu, it, it's it's crazy, Zach. It's like you've been in Ty Lu's coach's room. <laughs> Ty Lu has talked nonstop all season about the the most important things is getting into the paint and either scoring at the rim and attacking the rim or dishing off. And I think that's the thing he saw from last season, which was that there wasn't enough penetration. There was a lot of isolation, make your move, get to your spots uh, from Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, not enough driving and attacking into the paint. Uh, one source of frustration for PG all season long has been that he's been driving and not been rewarded uh, with, you know, getting to the free throw line, which started to change a little bit on this recent tear prior to last night when he was scoring like 32 or more. And I think in like seven of eight games or something like that, he started earning more calls. Um, but I think what you've seen this season is that when Kawhi and PG have been on the floor, they have tried to do that where they try to attack the rim and then find open guys, move the ball or score themselves. But I think you're right. With Kawhi and PG, you know, they haven't been on the floor together a lot again. Um, we, we've seen the emergence of Terrence Mann kind of be that young guy prior to Rondo I, I coming he, I think he's earned a spot in the playoff rotation. I don't think this 100%. is going to be a cute story that vanishes. In the, now, I don't think he's going to play 25 or 30 minutes, but I think yes. he's earned like 15. I think he's really earned it. We have to see how much Ty Lue is going to trust him in the fire of a playoff game. But I think he's earned it because he brings a different element. He's actually a young guy who is aggressive. There are times when they try to use him as a, almost a mismatch where they'll use him against a bigger guy and they just let him go to work and get into the into the paint. And he's able to just kind of be slippery and score over guys in the paint. Or now he's actually developed a three-point shot and he can't hit that three-point shot from the corner. Um, so it's, I think it's, he's, he's been a big emergence from them. And you're right. With Rondo coming back now, Rondo's the one guy that is able to, and Terrence Mann, when Terrence Mann grabs a rebound on the defensive end, they can push the ball up court and get them into their sets quicker. And boy, and boy does this team need a little juice in transition. Like, just give me a little bit of juice in transition. Terrence Mann, to your point, is shooting... 48% on corner threes, according to Cleaning the Glass. That's fantastic. Now, he can't. the, the non-corner threes are not going as well, but that's fine. You take what you get. He screens for Kawhi. He's like a good pick-and-roll partner for Kawhi because he can make plays on the move. He's a good passer. I think he's earned a shot in the playoffs, definitely over Kennard, who they just don't seem to trust and, and, and all that. Yeah, Rondo, it's funny. I wrote a couple of weeks ago, you don't realize how many available passes – are not being made 
until <laughs> the team acquires a player who can make them. He yeah. throws a pass or two every game where you're like, whoa, I haven't seen the Clippers make that pass since Chris Paul was here. Like, did that, that pass was there? Like that, yeah. pa- it's hard to see a negative almost. Now, I don't want to talk up Rondo. Rondo is just Rondo. He's not a superstar. He's not a star. He shouldn't be playing 30 minutes a game. There will be games in the playoffs where it's like, are, there, are they too dependent on Rondo? But he makes those passes. He yells at Paul George if he's out of position and not running the right play. And the thing that has made Rondo a great, a, a good player late in his career is he t- he's learned how to take what the defense gives him. So everyone goes under screens against him. Everyone lets him drive. And that used to be a handicap to his team's offense. And now it's like, okay, you're giving me all this space. You're giving me baseline. I'll take baseline. Because if I just get near the basket, that's good for my team. I'll figure it out when I get there. Because if I get there, you're going to converge on me and I'm going to make a play. And so he's just... The margins when you get to the top are so, so small. He doesn't need to be a star. He's not going to be a star. It's just a few plays here or there that he makes that I think this particular team could really use. And by the way, we're long past the point. An open Rajon Rondo catch and shoot three is not a bad shot. It's like a 38% shot. It's a good shot in the flow of an offense. Think about the way the Clippers melted down against Denver especially in that game seven in the final five minutes of that game when they just looked horrible and absolutely lost. You put Rajon Rondo on the floor, and I'm not saying that they pull it out because that 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 avalanche was had already started for three games. Um, but I just think – I don't think it just keeps going downward the way it was. If you had a guy like Rajon Rondo who was able to kind of manufacture a better offensive set – when things are going bad. But there's one major point that you made uh, that really sticks with me that I think is the biggest difference of what Rajon Rondo can do for them. And that is hold the superstars accountable. Last year when he was with the Lakers uh, and prior to that, uh, Rajon Rondo was one of the few guys who could actually talk to LeBron James and LeBron James would listen. Not saying LeBron James wouldn't listen to his teammates, but I think Rajon Rondo's words carry a different weight. He was one guy where when there were a lot of younger guys on that team, they were scared to say something to LeBron James. LeBron actually could listen, would listen to Rajon Rondo. I was told that from, uh, from assistant coaches on that team. And so here on the Clippers, it's the same thing. When a guy might yell at Paul George last year, if Montrez Harrell and Paul George got into it last year, there would be they would shoot looks at each other. I mean, Paul George even said it on a podcast during this prior to the season that he was like, we didn't have enough practice time to understand that when guys would go at each other, um, we knew where they were coming from. It was happening live in the playoffs on the court. And when that would happen, Paul George's words were like, oh, really? That's what you're like? That's where you're coming from? Because there wasn't this understanding on the floor. And so these guys, when they would butt heads on the floor, it like permeated. It stuck with them. Whereas now you have Rajon Rondo, I think there's a different approach. When Rajon Rondo approaches you and points that you weren't doing this on defense, you weren't out there, somebody like Paul George, he understands that, uh, hey, Rajon Rondo knows what he's talking about because look at his basketball IQ. He's won championships, you know what I mean? And he's played with all-time great players. And so I think they, they, you have to respect it. I think that is where his biggest impact could come. Yeah, I am very curious about the Clippers next 10 days. Here are their next games. At Phoenix, we talked about on Wednesday, absolutely monstrous game. Now, they won't have everyone. They will be missing a bunch of key players. But look, you want the two seed? Go get the two seed. Go beat the Phoenix Suns on the road. You're that kind of team? 
go show it. Home against Denver after two off days. Two off days. Oh my god. Two off days. Yeah. Like, should we fly to Hawaii and have a vacation? <laughs> um, hosting Toronto, which we'll see. Toronto's about to kick off just the worst, the the hardest stretch of games any team has played this season. Basically, home against the Lakers. Well, that's always fun. Home against the Knicks after another two days off because the Clippers have a bunch of games in hand right now. Like that's an, this seventeen and four run that they're on right now. It's been a good run. It's been good. Some bad teams that they beat up on. They've been missing a bunch of guys, but still managed to win. That's good. This next week is going to be interesting because I I'll, look. I'll say it. Uh, two months ago, I was just about ready to go out on the Clippers, and I said. <laughs> I, not out like I just I I said what I said I said if this is their shot profile they are not winning the championship they are just not going to do it I don't care how good of a jump shooting team they are well their shot profile is different now they've made the changes that they need to, they've needed to make to get back in that conversation and now I'm interested to see the degree to which given their health issues they can really ramp it up in the next 10 days but that game at Phoenix that's a really interesting game yeah you're not gonna have Pat Bev Kawhi I don't even know I have no what's the latest what's Kawhi what 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 do they think Kawhi is going to be reevaluated this week. So, okay, I, so they won't I have Kawhi. Be, yeah, I'd be a little surprised if he plays, but he's been, he had been on the trip with them. And then on top of that, Paul George tweaked his ankle uh, last night. And so he said he's just going to get, you know, uh, he's going to get, um, he's just going to basically get treatment for the next couple of days. And he thinks he'll be all right now. And that's a big one because Paul George has been terrific against the Phoenix Suns. He's the reason why they're 2-0 and against them. There's something about playing against Devin Booker and Chris Paul. If you go back to the first time that they faced him in Phoenix, those two guys started talking a lot of smack to Paul George, according to PG. And PG basically said, I don't know where this is coming from, but these guys like like bringing up the pass, meaning the bubble. And I, so I think they were questioning him uh, and maybe, you know, how, how hard he plays and, and if he's soft. And PG came up big in that game and it kind of ended with him playmaking and finding Nick Batum for a big shot at the end of that game. And then he came up big against them uh, in Los Angeles when they played the last time. And so Paul George has been all world against Phoenix. But this is a game that Phoenix looked like. I watched the Phoenix game against the Knicks. Chris Paul pulling out one of those games that only the all-time villains do at Madison Square Garden where Reggie Miller, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, they hit three big-time shots at the end in the final 90 seconds to silence the Garden. Uh, that's pretty much what Chris Paul did the other night. And Devin Booker said we needed that to feel good getting on our plane after a tough road trip because it just doesn't ease up for them when they get home. They know what's at stake here. They want that number two seed. They want to move up. Uh, and I do think that they are looking for payback with the Clippers. Here's the other thing, too, that I look at the standings, Zach. If I'm one of those two teams, I definitely feel a lot safer at number two. I didn't really think the seedings mattered until I started looking, and I'm like, I want to avoid the Los Angeles Lakers at all costs. And not to say that I think the Lakers are going to slip, because I do think LeBron is probably nearing a return. But if you're number two, you just don't have to worry about potentially facing the Lakers in a 3-6 matchup in case the Lakers you know, start resting guys or they don't move up. Um, Paul George, Paul George, when he's feeling down and when people are talking trash, when did Paul George become the guy that everybody just wants to make fun of? Like, he doesn't have a punchable face. He's not, like, when did ever, like everyone in the league just, I know when he, I can tell you the exact moment when it happened is when he hit the side of the backboard in game seven. That's when it happened. Yeah. He oh. should go. He, well, well, playoff, what? playoff P, right? Playoff P is probably maybe the beginning of it. I don't, I, Paul George to me is like one of the, it, it, as far as he's one of the most trolled 
athletes I've ever covered in my lifetime. <laughs> and I get it. Social media has a lot to do it. But I, I, I think like I've noticed that no matter what I tweet about Paul George and what he says post game, even if it's a good thing, it's just like fans will jump on him. The only thing, the only thing that I have tweeted that Paul George has said this season that wasn't trolled in some form or fashion is when Paul George took a stand against Asian hate. That pretty much was it. I'm serious. Like, I was just like, wow, okay, finally, nobody's going to criticize Paul George for saying something, you know? And it's just like, Paul George means well. I just think he's so honest sometimes. And that when he just keeps talking and talking, it just, it just, it rubs people the wrong way. Just deserved or not, Playoff P is a terrible nickname. It's just bad. Playoff P, just bad nickname. Just as, as a nickname, it's just bad. But what he should do when he's feeling down, when he's like, when he's like, what, like campaign is talking shit to me now? Like, is anyone, does anyone in the league respect me anymore? Like, who's it? The, are the refs talking shit to him? He should just queue up the 2013 conference finals between the Pacers and the Heat when 22-year-old Paul George was like hitting game-tying threes in the last second, hitting three straight free throws to force a game to overtime or something after getting fouled, was earned LeBron's respect to the degree that LeBron, on the way to a timeout, stopped at half court, called for Paul George in the middle of a game, and slapped five with him to acknowledge, like, hey, man, you belong on this day. He should go back and watch those games when he's feeling down because for all the mockery he takes, he's had huge moments in big, big spots. It's not like it's never happened before. It's just people have forgotten about it because it was a long time ago, and he's had some clunkers. And all anybody remembers about Paul George until he changes the narrative and he does it in the playoffs is hitting the side of the backboard on that three last year against Denver. Dude, dude, it's to the point when anybody hits the side of the backboard now in my head, I'm just like, oh, he just Paul George that three. Even even like <laughs> silently my brain, that's just a – even though – lots more people hit the side of the backboard more often than Paul George does. I had an agent tell me uh, shortly after that game seven that he was like, oh, dudes now are not going to look at Paul George the same anymore. Even the young cats who are not stars are going to go at Paul George and see him as completely vulnerable and see him as completely softer and not that superstar that he's supposed to be. And I was like, Eh, I don't know, maybe. And but you know what? He was right at the beginning of that season. Like I said, I'm Devin Booker and Chris Paul, obviously superstars. But yeah, I mean, I think guys were looking at Paul George in a different light, and it took Paul George to have to start off on an incredibly hot and have this revenge season to kind of like curb that. And then he hurt his toe, and he kind of like you know he wasn't as good. And then he said he had a mental breakthrough, which was basically he said in his mind. He convinced himself that he had to play through this pain for the rest of the season, and then he was great again. I mean, there was an eight or nine game stretch where he was back to being, you know, PG revenge season is full on again. And so last night he 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 didn't play well. He was due for a bad game. So was the entire Clipper team. We'll see what happens against Phoenix. I'd love to see Paul George on the floor. I hope he's you know he's going to be back to one hundred percent, and that it, this ankle is not a big deal because he has been incredible this season against the Phoenix Suns. I can't wait for that game. Look, here's the bottom line with both these L.A. teams. Not the bottom line, but a bottom line. The Clippers with PG and Kawhi on the floor, only 37 games. They're plus 17 per 100 possessions. The Lakers with AD and LeBron on the floor in 500-some minutes are plus 14 
per 100 possessions. We can get caught up sometimes in all these storylines and all this rotational nonsense. When they have their guys, these teams are still damn good, and the Clippers have figured some stuff about uh, out about themselves. I can't wait for this this week of games that the Suns have. Om Young Masuk, you do fantastic work for us covering the Clippers. Thanks for taking some time in your car to talk shop, my friend. Zach, real quick, one more thing. I thought about this the other day. I need you to give me the analytics and the odds of this happening, but this is what I want to happen in the playoffs. Is it possible that we could somehow, the basketball gods, could ever give us Lakers-Clippers Western Conference Finals and Knicks-Nets Eastern Conference Finals? Oh, my God. (laughs) What would happen to the Twitter basketball universe if that happened? And, of course, yes, I do have big market bias. Well, it would – that just blew my mind a little bit. Uh (laughs) I haven't gotten that far on the Knicks hype train that I'm expecting that kind of playoff run from them. But yeah, that would not be, well, for, that would, that would not, that would, there would be a whole big chunk of the country that is like, really, really <laughs> the coastal, the coastal elites win again. All right. Um, talk to you, man. See ya.